0: The following message was given by Brayman Goodlett on Sunday, February 28th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. And I'm actually going to begin by just reading verses 1 through 5, and after that I'll pray for our time together, all right? Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and that's the whole Sanhedrin, all the religious leaders in Israel. And they bound Jesus, and they led Him away and delivered Him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Let's pray together. Lord, help us this morning. I don't know how we'll all respond to what we hear this morning. Perhaps some of us will be amazed like Pilate. Perhaps some of us will not. Uh, but I, I just pray that right now as we, as we do this thing, we simply read through your word and let your spirit go to work. I pray that your spirit would meet us right where we are. That you would open our, our minds and open our hearts and then have us surrender our lives to you. We need a miracle from you in order for that to happen for me, for, for all of us, and that's what we're asking for. We ask that in your name, Jesus, and everybody said amen. amen. Now, I, just a few weeks ago, I was, I was hanging out with Brandon and Lindsay Spurlock and, and the students, the VCU students at, in the crew chapter there at VCU. They had invited me to speak on Thursday night at their large group gathering, I think it was back on February 4th. And so I went there, and before I spoke, we had a spelling bee. Now, I didn't win, and that won't surprise you, those of you who know me well. Spelling is not my big thing. But, but I, I forget which, in fact, they were so kind to me, I misspelled one word, and they let me stay in. So I actually got to misspell two words that night. I forget the first one I misspelled, but I think it was crocodile. Let's just say crocodile. So Sarah, Sarah I think, was a judge that night, and she said, Ray, how do you, how do you spell crocodile? I said, C-R-O-C-A-D-I-L-E, crocodile. She said, no, sorry, it's it's C-R-O-C-O-D-I-L-E. I I said, well, that might be true, but you asked me how I spell it. (laughs) Right? That, uh... Ah, you know, sometimes, sometimes our opinion of something is not the most important thing, right? My opinion about how to spell the word crocodile wasn't really that important at that moment. There was a judge. There was an objective reality behind the way the word crocodile is spelled. The judge was looking at the correct spelling, and she told me that what I thought was, was not Right? My opinion needed to be submitted to someone else's opinion, and their opinion and their word meant much more than mine at the moment. And in today's story, the same is true. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the the whole ruling council of Jerusalem, they had come together and they had come to a decision about Jesus and what should happen to him. But their decision and their verdict would have to be submitted to someone else's, whose opinion would mean much more. So they took Jesus to Pilate. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the events of this morning, Good Friday, through Pilate's eyes. And as we do that, what we're going to notice is that Pilate encounters Jesus, and when he does, he encounters, first of all, a silence that he could not understand. And ultimately, that led him to make a substitution that he did not expect. And my hope is that by the time we're done, that will point all of us this morning to a secret that we cannot miss. A secret we must not miss. Let's start back in verses two through five and let's look at this silence that Pilate could not understand. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus answered him in a way that affirms that without getting him in trouble legally. If he had just come out and said, yes, I am, the way that he responded last week as Robert read us, the the trial, the illegal trial that that Jesus underwent with the the religious rulers, if he had just said, yes, I am, and then said more about that, he could have gotten in trouble legally, he would have been declared guilty of treason, and that would have been the end of things right there without everything else that, that is unfolding. But Jesus answers in a way that basically says, you said it, he affirms it. But it doesn't get him in trouble legally. Jesus' brilliance and his wisdom never, never ceases to amaze me. Verse 3. As this is going on, the chief priests begin to accuse Jesus of many things. And then Pilate asks him again, Why aren't you talking? I mean, do, don't you have anything to say in your own defense? Look at all these charges. And Jesus just stands there. He makes no, no attempt to say anything. And Pilate is amazed. All throughout Mark's gospel, people have been amazed by Jesus, amazed at what he did, amazed at what he said. And now here we have Pilate amazed because Jesus is not saying anything at all. He's he's not making any attempt to say a word in his own defense. He's not trying to prove his innocence. If you're in Pilate's place, I mean, think about this. What what are you thinking at this point? Why, Why isn't this man scrambling to save his life? That's what any other Jew in this position would be doing if they stood before the full authority of the the throne of Rome, facing capital punishment. Now, Pilate was amazed. He couldn't understand this silence. What he could understand, however, was how it made him feel. And I'm not just saying amazed now, he was actually scared. Now, Pilate was not known for being scared in front of the Jews. In fact, it was quite the other way around. You can read in Luke chapter 13 verse 1 for yourself, Pilate was known to come to Jerusalem at times and, and he cared so little for the Jews and he was known to be so brutal that there it actually speaks about him having such disregard for them and their way of life, their worship, their sacrificing and all that, that he actually, he actually killed a number of the Jews while they were sacrificing to God. He, he, he mixed their blood, the Bible says, with their sacrifices. Pilate was not known to be scared in front of the Jews, no matter how many of them there were. Why is all of a sudden Pilate scared in front of this one Jew? You can actually see his his fear more clearly in the Gospel of John. Now, by the time we're finished, I'm going to pull parts of this story from all four of the Gospel accounts. So in John chapter 19, verse 7, you can see the Bible clearly saying that Pilate was afraid. Jesus answered those who were bringing charges against you or the Jews rather answered Pilate and they said we have a law and according to that law Jesus ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And then in verse 8 it says when Pilate heard this statement he was even more afraid. Meaning he was already afraid and now after hearing that he was more afraid. So instead of Jesus being the one here, trying to worm his way out of the situation, it was Pilate who was doing the scrambling to get out of this thing. Now let's get some more of the story from Luke, and you'll see what I mean. Luke chapter 23, verses 4 through 11. Luke chapter 23, verses 4 through 11. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. He had already examined him and said, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. And then, and then it hit him. Pilate just found his way out. Did they say Galilee? Verse 6, when Pilate heard this, He asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he did, in fact, belong to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent him over to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time, and now Pilate's got his way of getting out of this thing. He doesn't want to condemn this innocent man, he's starting already to feel like he's innocent, and maybe Pilate can send him to Herod, Herod Antipas, who sometime earlier had executed Jesus' cousin John the Baptist. Maybe maybe Herod will take care of this problem for him. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned Jesus at some length, But Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. And then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Now, don't you love when you delegate something to somebody else? Uh, You cross it off your list, and then all of a sudden it comes right back to you? Don't you love that? My wife has a face that she makes when I do that to her. (laughs) When she realizes she's going to have to do that too, then I start scrambling, saying, no, no, I'll do it. I'll just, you know, I'll just do it when I'm ready. And then I actually say that out loud sometimes. Y'all pray for me. It's (laughs) it's not a good thing to do. Uh, Where were we? (laughs) Had a personal moment there. So much for Pilate's scheme to offload this responsibility onto Herod. It seems that Herod had come to the same conclusion as Pilate. Jesus was innocent. He he wasn't even trying to overthrow Herod, let alone Caesar. There was no crime the Romans would be interested in here. And if that wasn't more confirmation or enough confirmation of Jesus' innocence, do you know what happened right at about this time? You've got to go to Matthew chapter 27 verse 19 to see it. But right at about this time, Jesus gets, or I should say Pilate rather, gets an emergency text from his wife. Now some of you are smart enough to know they didn't have texting back then, right? But this is, just consider this the first century version of an emergency text. He's sitting there, Matthew chapter 27 verse 19, and it says there that while he was sitting on the judgment seat, now you don't go on to that thing until you're ready to hand out your final decision. That's the way it worked. And while he was on the judgment seat, it says his wife sent word to him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For I have suffered much in a dream because of him today. She was having nightmares and cold sweats because she knew this Jesus was completely innocent. And if her husband got involved in doing any injustice to him, it was not going to go well. And so she sent him an emergency text. Now, my wife, Heather, she doesn't doesn't call or text very much when I'm at work. I think she tries to give me space, let me do what I'm doing. Uh, But when she does, you know it's really important. If she calls me when she knows I'm in a meeting, it's not just important. It is super important. It is urgent. Pilate's wife knew he was in a trial that morning. And she sent word, don't touch this thing. Now, if Pilate was scared before, at this point, he was even more scared, and he was more determined than ever to release Jesus. In fact, you can see that clearly as we continue to read in Luke chapter 23. Let's go back there. And in Luke chapter 23, in verses 13 through 16 this time, listen to what it says there. Now, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, and neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Now look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But the chief priests, they were just as determined to murder Jesus as Pilate was to release him. They began to stir up the crowd in a way that potentially could have caused a riot. And Pilate saw this and knew that he had to act. And then all of a sudden it hit him. He was sitting there and it came to him. Maybe there's another way out. Here's another way that came to him at that point. The crowd. Pilate could use the crowd to release Jesus and at the same time to stop the riot. He could look at the chief priest and say, it wasn't my decision. The crowd decided to release him. What do you want me to do? And at the same time, there would be no threat of a riot because to have a riot, you need the people, and the people were the ones who decided to release Jesus. It was perfect. It was a foolproof plan. Pilate would turn to the crowd. But once again, here's what's going on this day. There just seems to be something at work. Pilate's plans are just not holding up. This guy's got all the power of Rome behind him, the greatest empire on the earth at that time, and yet somehow this little mob of Jews is preventing him from doing what he wants. Pilate's plan was going to be foiled again, and after encountering this silence he couldn't understand, all of a sudden now he was going to find himself making a substitution he did not expect to make let's get the end of the story back in Mark chapter 15 you'll see what I mean Mark chapter 15 let's pick it back up in verses 6 through 15 now at last or rather now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked now this is a tradition this is a custom they had Pontius Pilate, usually, he would live out in Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean, which, believe me, was much nicer than the city of Jerusalem when it was (laughs) swelling with large numbers of people that Pilate had no affinity for, right? So he he would much rather be back on the beach by the Mediterranean coast than to be in, in Jerusalem during the Passover with all these people and all their animals and all this activity. But what Pilate used to do is he used to come into the city at these times because there were so many people and you needed more of a military presence just in case anything crazy happened, right? Someone would have to put down those insurrections so Caesar would call in more muscle and Pilate would come and they, they developed this tradition. Apparently they must have arrested lots of people, nationalistic zeal no doubt was at its peak during the Passover. And so it wasn't uncommon for people to try to overthrow the Roman government. The zealots were all there leading that charge. And so arrests would be common, crucifixions would be common. This year would be no different. But Pilate developed a custom between him and the Jews, and he would release a prisoner for them each year, a prisoner of their choosing. They would say, release this prisoner for us, and he would say, okay. And hopefully that would lead to enough peace until Pilate could get back to the beach on the Mediterranean coast. Verse 6 At the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And now, among the rebels in prison, this year it seems Pilate had already taken some people off the street. Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and they began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Now, Pilate had to be ecstatic at this point. Yes. Why didn't I think of this? They're going to now ask me to do what I usually do for them. How come I didn't remember that? I always release a prisoner. I get to release Jesus now. And I get to make it look like they're the ones who want it. And then verse 9 happens. Pilate says to them, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Because he he figured this thing out, verse 10, he could perceive that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up, but the people, they loved Jesus. They had just welcomed him with praises a few days earlier on Palm Sunday. They loved him. He had healed them. He had raised their dead. He had given back children to their grieving parents. Jesus fed them when they were hungry. He taught them like nobody else ever had. They loved Jesus. I feel like the girl on that Liberty Mutual commercial, with, talking about Brad, her car. Anyway, it's another personal moment up there. But they love Jesus. Surely they would ask for him to be released. That's not what happened. Nothing Pilate is expecting is happening. Something. What's going on? Verse ten. He perceived that they had just delivered Jesus up out of envy. But verse eleven. The chief priests somehow were effective and they stirred up the crowd to have Jesus. Re- That's not what the Bible says, is it? Somehow they stirred up the crowd to have him, Pilate, release Barabbas instead. Can you imagine Pilate's shock? As shocked as I am, I won't say too much about this, but large crowds just clamoring for certain individual. I I just, I won't say much. But verse 12, Pilate again said to them, well, what do you want me to do with this Jesus guy? What shall I do with this man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And so Pilate said to them, why? Why? I mean, what evil has he done? I, I find myself saying that to people all the time. I, when, I, when I'm out there and I encounter all this deep hostility toward Jesus and Christianity, and, and we actually get behind or beyond the poor example of Christians like you and me, I, I sometimes just find myself asking people, what, what is, where is this hostility coming from? What has Jesus done? I mean, what has he done To produce this kind of anger in your heart at the mention of his name. I mean, for some of you here today, maybe you have that hostility in you. What has Jesus done? I mean, how long will you be stuck constantly uh, allowing, allowing the poor example of other people to dominate your life so that you don't even really look at him? What has he done? And shouted all the more, crucify So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, which is a quality we always admire in leaders, people-pleasing. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, release for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, and I don't have time to get into that and how terrible that was. People died sometimes just from a scourging or flogging. But having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Lord, please open our eyes to see what's happening here. Somehow, again, somehow even though Pilate desperately wanted to release Jesus, he found himself making a substitution he did not expect. He released Barabbas instead, and he ordered Jesus to be crucified in his place. Now friends, this is what I'm talking about. This is all I really want to do for us this morning, is to focus in on what's coming next. I just want to read the Bible, let God's Spirit go to work, and tell you this one thing coming up. All of this points us to a secret we we must not miss. That secret has two parts to it. Here's the first part. Pilate is not in charge here. If you were to see Pilate that day, and all the pomp and circumstance, and all the garments, and all the soldiers, and, and you would have thought, yeah, that guy is in charge. I don't know what you're talking about, but, but he, he looks like he's in charge. And yet, as you watch what's unfolding here, it's very clear. Everything that Pilate wants to do just doesn't happen. Something else is going on. Someone behind the scenes must be in charge here. It's not Pilate. Somehow Pilate ends up releasing Barabbas. His whole point for being in Jerusalem is to take people like Barabbas off the street. What is he doing? How is he going to explain that to Caesar? Well, you know, Caesar, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, you know uh, uh, the crowd. The crowd? What is he doing? What's going on? Who's, who's orchestrating all of this? The substitution Pilate makes here proves that someone else is in control. If if Pilate truly was in control, if his plan had prevailed, Jesus would have been released as an innocent man. But not only was Pilate prevented from releasing Jesus here, I want you to see what happened. He actually releases a murderer. And then he condemns Jesus to die in his place. He could have just held on to Jesus for a while. He had options. He could have just released Jesus and told the Jews to just get out of here like he always did. Somehow, he swaps and substitutes here. He releases the guilty. He condemns the innocent. Folks, whoever is in charge here was not only determined for Jesus to die. He was at the same time determined to paint a picture. A picture of a judge who releases the guilty as he sends the innocent to die in his place. That's all I want you to get. This, whoever was in charge, this this person wanted us to see it with our eyes. He wanted us to see Barabbas knowing full well his guilt. He wanted us to see him walking out. He wanted us to see the judgment, the cross that was already sitting there, the cross that had already been prepared for Barabbas, the hole that had been dug in that hill called Golgotha, the the hole that was there, it had Barabbas' name on it. He wanted us to see Barabbas walking away from that and an innocent man going to it instead. Barabbas goes free. Jesus is condemned to die in his place. Now look at Mark 15, 10. Pilate made a huge mistake here. He thought the primary reason that Jesus was delivered up to him was human in origin. Verse 10. He thought it was simply out of the envy of the chief priests. That's why Jesus is here. Because of how they feel. Because of their desires. Because of their... They're envy. Pilate missed the greater reason that Jesus was there, but you and I can see it in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 23, very clearly. And there we read, this Jesus. Now, now look, look at why Jesus was delivered up. Acts, chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the, what? Definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It wasn't merely the religious leaders' envy behind Jesus being delivered up to Pilate. No, it was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that brought Jesus bound to Pilate. It was God Himself behind the scenes who was in control. It was God who determined that Jesus should die, not only in Barabbas' place, and this is what I want you to hear. But in ours. This is all his doing. We read it earlier at the beginning of the service, Isaiah 53. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It's not about the crowds or the chief priests or Pilate or any of it. It was the will of the Lord to do this. Why? This was all God's plan. beginning to close here let me let me say this to to christians and non-christians alike here this morning there's the other part of the secret not just that Pilate wasn't the one in charge here but you and i are in this story you might struggle to find who you are or where you are but we're in this story in a sense and not just in the crowd shouting crucify crucify you could place us there and that would be right that's usually what we say and that's usually how this goes I'm going to say something slightly different this morning. You and I are in this story, not just in the crowd. You and I are Barabbas. When we put ourselves into stories, we like to make ourselves the hero, don't we? That's not how it works when you come before the Word of God. You and I are Barabbas. We are the guilty ones for whom judgment has been prepared. Like Barabbas, all of us have participated in our own insurrection, in our own rebellion. Even as Barabbas sought to overthrow the rule of Rome over his life, you and I have sought to overthrow the rule of God over ours. God has a right to rule over everything he has created, including us. Yet we have looked at our lives and we have said to God, not here. This is the one thing you have created that you have no right to rule. I rule here. I will figure out who I am, independent of what you say. I will do what I want to do, independent of what you think. I will listen to whoever I want to listen to about what life is really supposed to be like. I'll listen to my own contemporaries. It doesn't matter if they say the exact opposite of you. I will rule here. And sometimes you do that in the nicest, most subtle, always smiling way. You're one of the nicest people we've ever seen, but deep down your heart is that rebellious. And you might not even know it. Friends, this is treason against heaven. This is treason against the God who created us. This is treason against an eternal, loving, and all-deserving God. And it is therefore guilty in an eternal sense. This is deserving not simply of capital punishment as we debate about it. Not simply of death here and now, but of eternal condemnation. But there is good news. There is good news, what Christians call the gospel. That's what that word means. It is good news, and the good news is one that we can see in First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We see it here, and it says there that Christ, that is Jesus, suffered for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. A substitution has taken place and it was part of God's plan. The righteous dies for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you and me to God. And then God raised Jesus from the dead three days later, and now Jesus will do exactly that. He will bring to God, not for condemnation, but for clemency, for forgiveness, for eternal life, for a place in his family forever. Jesus will bring to God all those who turn from their rebellion and trust in him. As for those who deny it, who justify themselves in their own eyes, no such promise awaits. quite the opposite such people are in constant danger of one day getting what they actually deserve and let me finish let me close with this i want to speak particularly to those of you who are not christians here this morning do you know why you're here you might think it's just because your friend invited you 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 might think it's just because you just decided to pick yourself up and come And those things, no doubt, are involved, but you're here because of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God for your life. When Jesus was put before Pilate, Pilate made a mistake that I don't want you to make this morning. Pilate thought that he was the one that had the final say. He thought his opinion of Jesus, his evaluation of Jesus, his verdict concerning Jesus was the one that really mattered. I'm here to tell you this morning, Pilate had it backwards, and many of you are perhaps in danger of having it backwards as well. When Jesus is put before you, as He is right now through this message, He's not awaiting your judgment about Him. He's graciously giving you an opportunity to escape His judgment of you. I want you to hear that. We don't want to get it twisted this morning. Like me, like all of us in here, you too are a rebel against the throne of heaven. But by God's great love and mercy, you can be a forgiven rebel, thanks to Jesus. What prevents you, what prevents you this morning from turning to Christ in faith? Are you just gonna walk away like Barabbas and go back to your old life? As far as we know, that's what he did. Or will you turn back to the Son of God who took your place and say thank you? And not just thank you with your words, but with the rest of your life. Why not ask him right now to forgive you, to pardon you, to receive you, and to grant you a share in his eternal family forever? You can do that today. For everyone else who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're about to take communion together. And as you come this morning, I want you to come remembering that we aren't good people who somehow qualify for something like this. And if you're... If you're Distributing communion. You can go and get those elements now. We're not good people who have qualified ourselves to receive anything from God. Instead, we are forgiven rebels who really should stand this morning more amazed than Pilate that now when we come before Jesus, we encounter not his silence, but a reminder of of the sacrifice which the Bible says in Hebrews 12:24, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So when you're ready with that in mind when you're ready I want you to come receive the bread and the cup which remind us respectively of the body that was broken and the blood that was poured out the body and blood of Jesus so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be granted full forgiveness and eternal freedom as true sons and daughters of God. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Because of Jesus, you and I can walk away as true and better Barabbas' sons and daughters of God. That's what we celebrate as we come this morning. When you're ready, stand to your feet and come. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www redemptionhill.com